Hello and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer one cut at a time. My name's Tim Clare and this is a show about writing for writers, for readers and for anyone with a morbid fascination with how the story sausage is made. We have three central rungs on our writing manifesto on this podcast. Rung the first to help you write more, rung the second to help you write better and rung the third to help you be a little bit happier while you do those things. To that end... I speak to authors about their writing. I speak to all sorts of people tangentially related to the act of making stories. I look at listeners' first pages of their work and I offer suggestions on how they might make it even more awesome or suck slightly less. And I talk about writing myself. And in addition, I'm also uh, this year embarking on attempting to write a novel myself from first ideas all the way through theoretically to a finished manuscript um and that's ongoing and i'm actually quite enjoying myself but today i'm speaking to an author in this episode and particularly apt given my project uh i'm speaking to a fantasy author and uh, in what in retrospect looks like a coup for this podcast not a military coup just a kind of cool move i guess i'm using in the uh uh is there a is, is that how we use coup nowadays we're in i mean here in norwich we use coup for the letter of the alphabet is for i mean we use coup to mean some something you do while you're waiting in line at the post office and you join the coup um anyway sorry i i digress um i spoke uh to the fantastic novelist rj barker uh about well, about lots of things, actually, um, including, but not limited to, uh, his novels. He's written uh, two fantasy series, two very different series. And yet, you know, I think like with all authors, you see things that connect them, even though stylistically there's huge range. Um, his... Now, I so the series have official names, then there was the names that we were calling them um, within the talk. So it's the Wounded Kingdom trilogy, but it starts with um, Age of Assassins and uh, ends with King of Assassins, I want to say. Um, so that's his first uh, trilogy. And then his second trilogy is the Tide Child trilogy, but it begins with The Bone Ships, um, which has um just just this week uh just last night i think at the time of recording uh won uh the british fantasy award for best novel so look at me with my finger on the pulse somehow i've managed to turn that into into my taking credit for his winning an award that's a that's incredible tim that's really good even for you (laughs) <laughs> to immediately to immediately go well i think you'll find that this award in many ways reflects well on my skill <laughs> as, as a podcast booker <laughs> wow that's uh that's an insight into myself i didn't necessarily need um no it's really exciting uh to speak to rj uh not because of his reflected glory just because it was really good fun and um, I like talking to lots of different people and sometimes the interviews are very structured and formal and I have a list of questions I've written down and I ask a question and the person answers 
and I say, fantastic. And then I ask the next prepared question. And those can be wonderful, right? And I think especially when I'm speaking to sort of academics um, and researchers, I need that structure because I, I want to make sure I hit all the key bits of their theory and then I want to give them time for them to feed back to me and uh, often I don't really know what they're, the field that they're talking about so I can't chip in you know when they're talking about the periaqueductal grey and uh, I can't I can't chip in and go oh yeah with like my anecdote about that part of the brain like it's not gonna it's not gonna happen i can't 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 riff on neuroanatomy uh but i am a writer and i am a writer of fantasy and just talking to rj was really good fun and you'll hear that um that we just that i just really just hit record and and we didn't really at any point start doing a, an interview a formal interview it's not a job application um but we didn't really i didn't you know i just asked him questions about his work i suppose that's what an interview is but it was just didn't feel like that it felt like a really lovely chat and uh he's so enthusiastic and had so many interesting reflections on the writing process and manages I felt really buzzy and inspired by the end of our chat and you know I often feel that way uh, from different interviews for different reasons um, but someone who was just able to without being sort of air punchy and cheesy was able to give me and I hope you a reminder of why writing is cool and exciting and and difficult and mysterious as all adventures are we talked about our favorite books and we talked about his processes and finding voices in novels and how you pitch a tri trilogy and his different approaches to different books that uh, as he's you know as he's worked through them and uh, how you keep going and coming up with ideas and editing and you know simultaneously you know it just happened because that as we talked had this kind of what felt like a very sort of like free-flowing conversation actually rj hit on all these quite crunchy bits of writing craft that i think you'll find really useful so i'm not going to talk anymore uh except for a very tiny little bit of housekeeping because that's always entertaining on a podcast um because i want to not um, delay getting into it but all I want to say is um, I put links to RJ's books in the show notes of today's episode so some occasionally people go what are the show notes because I just it just means like if you go into this if you're looking at this on SoundCloud or because you can find all my podcasts at soundcloud.com forward slash Tim Clare or if you're getting them through any kind of podcatcher just the show description right if you look at that for this episode, there'll be links to um, uh, where you can get hold of RJ's books. And I'll put a link to his website as well. Also, um, if you uh, like the show and you'd like to support it, I've got a coffee page, which is kind of like a Patreon. But um, yeah, there's 
no real difference <laughs> it's just an off-brand patreon i guess but um you can uh, drop me a few beans there or even um uh, subscribe for uh, like a recurring uh bean drop um i it just helps me um cover the cost of uh uploading the show paying for uh, uh soundcloud and my website and stuff like that and allows me to do more i'm trying to um keep to a regular upload schedule now and maybe even sometimes put out two episodes a week on a monday and thursday uh obviously all things are being equal um but the thank you to everyone who supported the show i don't have any sort of uh super special uh backer deals uh i just you know try and make the show available to everyone and if people support me i can make more of them and um i can keep that going so thank you so much to everyone who's drop me uh, a bit of support um for the show i really really appreciate it and it's uh yeah it's delightful anyway that's it um i hope you enjoy this episode um here's me talking to the novelist rj barker yeah <laughs> I, d- I like that. I like that though. I like hearing what other people have got out of stuff that I've done. I think it's it, it's really fascinating, especially when people will probably come on to that when people tell you stuff you've done because it's one of my favourite bits is how other people perceive your art through well, sort of I, their. Well, I mean, we can just jump in there if you like. I'd love to hear. Yeah. Has there ever been like a moment where you know people have fed back on your work or given their own opinions and um you know you've been surprised um i'm surprised i mean the most surprising and wonderful thing that's ever happened to me is um somebody did a massive post on reddit on the bone ships where they they took apart the world and from what i'd written already said what they thought was going on and where it was going and it was so wonderfully in depth i couldn't believe somebody had spent that much time on me who wasn't actually being paid for it um and uh, <laughs> and and they hit so many of the things that i th- i thought i'd quite subtly seeded and i've not seen people mention uh, and that was lovely and they also did that wonderful thing where they credited me with far more intelligence that i've actually got uh, and i took notes from their thing and said right, i'm having those if anybody <laughs> asks <laughs> i'm just gonna claim that they're, they're all all things that happened but i, I I, I like that, and, and I like, I mean, every writer knows that if somebody comes up to you and says something about your book that you'd not thought of, but they think is in there and it sounds clever, you just go, yes, yeah, yeah. Do you think that. any of that, do you think any of, I mean, I, I, it's it's fine if this isn't the case, but do you think any of that is sort of subconscious or like, because when you're kind of drawing from, you know, you think, oh, this sounds right, or I'll give the character this name, because it just you know a lot of the time it's just it feels right in your head or it's the thing that pops into your mind do you think those things because they're all drawing from the same place that maybe at some level you not yeah. didn't know but do you know what i mean yeah i, I do i mean i <clears throat> i am anyway when we get into how we do things i'm a very subconscious writer i'm not someone that thinks about what i'm doing at all and i have this sounds like blowing my own trumpet but it's basically down to laziness and slackness to I have quite a, a wide knowledge base of stuff just because I've never settled on any one thing. So I've read quite widely on lots of things and it's all in there stewing around. And probably if I went to a pub quiz, I'd be useless. But 
it kind of comes up contextually and, and then later on I'll, I'll find oh oh there's that thing there that I, I clearly knew but wasn't actually aware I knew but I've written it in um, and I think that's quite interesting I think writing is, is just sort of to some degree just channeling your, your subconscious is doing it I, I often find that other thing that I, I love is I'll get to like page 400 and think oh I wish I'd written a blue dog in because if I'd written a blue dog in then this would all make sense and then you go back and find out actually it's there it, there is a blue dog but it might be a cat but it's there and you, you can just do it and you're like yes yeah I'm, I'm so clever I had I had I it's so funny you say that because I had like really stupid scenes in like my first draft of the honors where I literally had like a character uh, it was like a spot the ball competition it was like I knew I was going to need I had a character running through the woods and I was trying to be all literary and she was kind of running away but there wasn't anything chasing her it was just like a and I came back and I was like oh this is shall I just put a monster chasing her because I need a bit that's more exciting and I'd already written the scene just without the monster there's another bit where I had her shooting a gun into an empty sky and I was just like shall I just have her shooting at something and those scenes made it into the book and it would be so dumb to tell somebody originally the centrepiece of this entire scene wasn't in there but it was a bit like I came back and went, oh, I guess I've kind of set that up. But it was so dumb the way I wrote it. Like you could never go into a, a kind of like creative writing class and go, what I suggest is you write a bunch of kind Nonsense. of. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and, then late, and then later on, it's going to turn out a bit like kind of like how James Bond kind of like gets all these gadgets and then the perfect scenario turns up where he needs them. You're just like, you'll, you'll probably just trust your intuition and later on a scene will turn up where yeah that blue cat will be necessary to for for a jump scare or something like that and you'll go yes i set this up i look cleverer than i am i I do wonder if there's me who you're speaking to rj barker who who writes stuff and uh, and gets on with it and sits there and does the work and maybe there is actually a much cleverer writer sat in the back of my brain just screaming just constantly (laughs) going what are you doing? And the good bits are actually being fed out from that that person. But I, I'm actually a barrier to to, to to that much better person who's just biting off their fingernails as as I go along. You but, make it sound you make it sound like sort of like a form of of, of channeling. And yeah, that there's these that there's someone through a kind of frosted pane of glass who's like saying, "No, not I didn't say chicken." <laughs> I said, it, it it is channeling that I'm, I I said this and I, I said something about writing being like magic because you're literally creating and, and when the thing I was saying at somebody just stood up and went you've been reading too much Alan Moore and I'd not actually read any Alan Moore at that point but I, I'm, I'm quite glad that Alan agrees with me that um, you are literally sort of creating something from nothing um, but you're, you're channeling not not magic as such but your own experience into it's, it's kind of like Rumpelstiltskin you know the, the spinning of, of stuff spinning spinning your own experience into something entirely different but it's still recognizable i can still pull out bits and bobs i've completely forgotten where i was going with that well i i I, yeah this idea mm. that you kind of like you're channeling something and you're taking this you're spinning the kind of straw of the mundane into the gold of something that seems almost alien even to you yeah and when when it's good when, when writing is good i'm not aware i'm doing it i i can suddenly find two hours have gone and i've written an awful lot and generally, if I've written like that, that will that will go into the final draft. Um, 
And it's so, so those moments where you're kind of flying, do you, are you saying that those are often also ones where the writing is what you want it to be as well? Yeah, yeah. And, and the, um, for the, for the, the, the readers, I, I'm, I'm just about to, I'm releasing my sixth book in, in September, which is Ooh. really surreal to me. Um, but my first book that sold, Age of Assassins, I wrote in six weeks. Um, you we, got, oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds more impressive than it is. Um, I, I'd, I'd written a big science fiction novel and I'd, uh, and while it had been on submission, I had literally frozen. I couldn't write a word because uh, it was a new, I'd never been through submission before. It was a new process and I just found it paralyzing. Um, and I spoke to a couple of editors while this book was on submission and I had a really long talk with an editor from Head of Zeus about Agatha Christie and the idea of a fantasy Agatha Christie because we both loved that sort of thing. And it must have stuck in my head because um, when everybody finally turned down this fine science fiction novel of my age at the time said oh I'm really sorry nobody wanted it I was just like great right I can get on now and I had this idea and it coincided with me being quite ill and taking a course of steroids which is brilliant um, and I literally sat and I wrote this book in six weeks <laughs> uh, and, and sort of finished it but it was like channeling this character the, the character of Gerton was incredibly easy for me to write um, and I just like seeing that world through his eyes and that's how I wrote it. And that's how I kind of wrote all three. I didn't really have much idea of where I was going at any point. Burn Ships is different and a bit more of a struggle, but it does occasionally touch up to that kind of whoa sort of feeling. Can we go can we go back and talk a little bit about Girton and this world and, and, and channeling a voice? I'm really glad you talked about that because mm. I know sometimes I know sometimes writers can worry that they're sounding a little precious when they say, oh, the characters took over the story or something. And yet most writers have had that experience. And I wondered if you could just talk about what it, what that was like to you and, and maybe reflect on the kind of build up to that. And if you worked out where it, where the character came from. I have a bit of a, a, a an odd, an odd way of approaching Age of Assassins. I did slightly differently to every other book I've done. Um, Usually I just know the end. I know the end and I set off and I see where I'm going. Um, Age of Assassins, because it was my, my second go at a novel, I'd, I had a few kind of signposts along the way that I'd written out. So, But um, the character of Girton was so strong and immediate, um, I could hear his voice and I, I knew how he would react to things and where I was going. And so that first draft was heading, it was like there was signposts and I was headed, right, I'm heading towards this bit where they get into the castle and then I'm heading towards this bit where they meet this person then I'm heading towards this bit and it was all sort of built around the, the denouement at the end when they they have a, a kind of Agatha Christie style um, and this is how it was all done kind of moment uh, and the world kind of just built up around that as I was going there was very little planning and it was lovely and then um, I changed agents partway through and my new agent um, he had some suggestions I don't know how how spoilery do we get on this, Tim? Can I utterly? It's entirely it's entirely it's entirely up to you. You can go uh, super deep if you want to dance around it. I always try and make my questions mm. 
to allow you to have the discretion on that, but you're totally, um, uh, you know, at, at liberty to kind of go deep into that if you want to. Well, I, I'm very much, it's a journey, not the destination type of person. So I'm going to ruin it for everybody. So switch awesome. off now if you if you haven't read Age of Assassins. Um, so the original book, The Six Weeks of Sprint, finished at the denouement, and that was where it ended. It finished there and they escaped. Um, and my agent then said, go back, and, and he gave me some sort of, technical tips about how to build in a subplot around that with with so he wanted me he, he was very insistent that Gurton had somebody at the end he could fight um he said because what he said basically fantasy readers want him to kill someone at the end if he doesn't do that they'll be disappointed so I, I went in and I dropped in some more characters that actually just fitted quite simply you know we're talking about the blue cat thing um they just kind of fitted in they kind of snaked around the original story and, and and then we put in a big sort of battle at the end that weren't in the original version. Um, but again, it was all really simple because it was just that first person is my great love and, and writing in the first person I seem to find a lot easier. So so that that was the sort of process of writing. It was this quite a pure whodunit was the first version. There was very little fighting and battles in it. Um, apart from to sort of anchor the idea of the magic because it, it is a fantasy book because it doesn't work if you take the magic out because the magic's central to the murder mystery. Um, and, and, you, and we have to see that, and crucially, we have to see that magic working. We have to see yeah. other examples of it because otherwise, you know, obviously <laughs> yeah. the most disappointing fantasy murder mystery would be <laughs> at the end you reveal a whole magic system that has hitherto not featured in the story. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the massive deus ex machina. Just, it just gets me out of my <laughs> just gets me out of all the stuff that I wanted. But, but yeah, and then that was... And then um, that, uh, and the second book, it was really, the second book I had a really um, clear idea of the story when I started, when I sat down to it. I knew what I wanted to say all the way through. It was it was really odd. It was just all there in my my head. The only thing that changed with that was there was um my editor made me take out a prologue. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that is that is the yeah. that is the. That, oh, I feel like we need a kind of support group for fantasy <laughs> we writers. Do. We do. <laughs> the rest of the group sitting in the circle all nod sympathetically. Yeah, yeah we've all lost a prologue. And I, and I sat and, and I wrote a five page email to her explaining why she was wrong about this prologue because um, there was this beautiful motif in the prologue that, that echoed throughout the entire book it's like a little literary thing and, and it spoke to his state of mind and I got to the end of this five page email and just thought yeah she's right damn it <laughs> I, respect to you for, for getting there because I don't yeah I've, I've been in exactly the same position and had exactly the same intransigence as I kind of think no and you know what I'm going to prove it and then we we can include my we'll put this as a fo footnote in the book in case readers agree with you <laughs> i'll I'll stand over every reader's shoulder and explain to them why it's actually very clever if you just just hang onto your hat a little bit yeah, I, I love stuff I, I often find that editing it is as much it's not so much about taking things out it's as much about your editor going this doesn't work um, can you do something about it? And what they mean is take it out. And what you do is find a way to make it work. So, okay, I'll rewrite the entire book for this. This line is staying in. Um. But that's it's always good when you're given that opportunity to. There's a problem here, and how you approach it. You know, it's a bit like there being your 
sort of dungeon master in D&D, right? They're going like, how do you want to do this? Like, here's, yeah. here's the monster, which is that the scene doesn't work. Your, your choice how you do this, and often cutting it works really elegantly, but not the, always. No, I mean, my, my editor, Jenny Hill, at Orbit, is, she's so good uh, and gentle. Uh, I, just, I just feel like she's kind of just nudging me, just going, no, not that way. Just, just the other way, and I go, all right, all right, Jenny. And, and usually, if I, like, um, I've just done the final Bone Ships book, and she suggested sort of three big changes in the entire thing. And when I looked at it as a whole thing, those three changes were just like a line through the book that just like twisted the entire thing and tightened it. And I just thought, my God, Jenny, you're a genius. Um, it's, it's lovely yeah. when somebody gives stuff like that, and then you make the changes, it looks better, yeah. and you think. I'm gonna get people are gonna think I'm a better writer than I am. Yes. <laughs> that's what that's what an, an, an editor, they're, they're brilliant. There's only one time I've ever sort of stuck my feet down and gone, no, no, I'm not changing this. In um in the, the burn ships, there's like a, a four page bit about how they load their big crossbows, which take the place of cannons. Um, uh, Jenny was like, do do we really need four yeah. pages of this? It's it's a naval book. You've got to have it. <laughs> no, I like see. No, see, I would. Yeah, and I, of course, I'm going to be on your side because, mm. I, <laughs> because because although, like you say, editors are our greatest allies in this, right? And I don't. And I'm I'm joking about being sort of like a, in any way antagonistic towards them. But I do. You know, there's that bit at the beginning of Kafka's uh, Metamorphosis where they like it switches from describing Gregor San- Samza as being this kind of huge beetle to mm. just describing a painting on the wall and there's no there's, we don't need to know why that paint that there's a painting on the wall there's more important things going on in the scene <laughs> except that it's such a boring description of this lady with kind of like a, a kind of like woolen muff that she's put her hands in into and this boring painting that it's it just describes something believable and mundane in the scene and then we kind of go, oh, I believe in this room. Oh, now I kind of believe that he's turned into a... It just describes something boring in a way that anchors this weird beetle and makes us believe in it. And I feel like when a, a, an author like describes something like that in technical detail and just goes, I, kn- I know about this and I'm going to make you feel it and understand it and give you almost a bit of expertise everything around it and especially the weird stuff just feels more touchable to me and more real i don't know that's my that's my feeling of of like what that scene does is and it just sort of also makes me feel a bit involved i don't know like i'm learning something a little bit uh, yeah i mean the the bone ships was written with with um i don't know if you've had time to get get to the bone ships um I'm not not bothered if you haven't. There's too many books. We can't read all of them. And I've barely read anything during lockdown. I don't know why. It's just it's kind of killed my ability to read. It's been awful. I think a lot of people have. I think a lot of people have been sort of set, yeah. set sort of slightly finding it hard to concentrate on mm. stuff. Definitely. Yeah, I, mean, I can write still, but I can't read. It's just kind of. Got, I think I've read like four. I read um, uh, Blood Meridian, by. Uh, Colin McCarthy. I was going to. It's funny. I was going to bring up Colin McCarthy as an example of someone who does that kind of detail in a way that brings brings stuff out. You know. So yeah. Colin McCarthy did the road right. I'm not gone completely. Do Lally. Is mm. that right? 
Yeah, did. I'm looking I'd, at it now. Great. Yeah. I, I bounced really hard off the road. It was just too grim for me. It is As super grim. It's, it's, super, right. it's super, super grim, but there's a really nice bit where it describes um, him dismantling a gas stove in mm. someone's like secret shelter. And I was like, I, I, I believe you that you've dismantled a miniature stove. And it made me believe all the really weird kind of post-apocalyptic stuff because he just took some time to... I was like, okay, I believe in this world now. It was really cool. I, I think Paul McCarthy sometimes goes a bit, a bit far on the old similes, right? Occasionally you're like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did. I, I was quite blown away by Blood Meridian. I didn't expect to be. I thought I was going to bounce off that hard as well, but I, I, I was quite... I was. I loved that book, and I'm never going to read it again. It's one of those. <laughs> I never want to go anywhere. And I read um, Piranesi as well by um, Susan. What did Nicola. you think? Um, I really enjoyed it. I'm not sure I liked it. I, I can't. It's really weird because what I don't like about it, I think, is very deliberate in that it feels like there's something missing, and I think that's a metaphor for Piranesi himself. Ah. Uh, but it feels like there's an emptiness within that book that, like, someone else I, I know read it and said it feels like half a novel. Sure, yeah, yeah. I get what I get what you're saying, and it's like judging it by its own terms. You think that's mm. what it was going for, but then that it's fine. But that's not a, what you would want out of something, right? Is that yeah. kind of yeah? It's it's not. I don't think it's bad, and I think it's beautiful. I just don't think it's what I wanted. Because I, I love Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell. Yeah, me and too. And I, I loved it. it it's, it's sheer denseness. And Pyrenees was like the opposite of that. It, it was like froth. A beautiful and ornate and, and gorgeous, but froth. Yeah, there was a, there, there, it, was, it was kind of a, it was very spare by comparison. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, 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 understand, I understand what you're saying. I, I think I was surprised at how satisfied I was by Pyrenees. I, yeah. I felt like I got to the end and I was like, oh yeah, I get that, but... Um, yeah, I, I get exactly what you mean. Yeah, mm. is it uh, really interesting? It's it's really you, it's not criticism of it. I, I really enjoyed. No, it. no, just, I really understand really, what yeah. you're saying. And it's hard when you bounce off a book while understanding mm. that it did something well, because of course we all want to love something, yeah. so we can be part of talking to other people about it and being enthusiastic. And it's quite a lonely place sometimes when other when other people have loved a book and I haven't quite got it i sometimes feel real i kind of feel sad i kind of go i want to be there with you yeah. like going yeah and this i think the, the more you write the the more sort of specific your tastes get in a you know what what isn't going to kick you make you happy it, it's really odd um, can, can you what can you i just wanted to give people a sort of sense of can you talk about some books that you read either sort of when you're starting out or recently or whenever that you've just gone oh yeah other than your other than your own of course oh, that, um, um that, that you've gone this is the juice oh i <laughs> gosh i wish i'd written this or this is amazing or whatever you're you're gonna have to come tim on um writopolis that i do with the horror writer kit power because i'm um, part of that we do a thing called urtexts where we asked people for their 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 sort of original text the ones that are always in their head from when they were tiny um and the ones that are powering them through. So yeah, I can do this because we, we do it every other week. Um, Watership Down is is just stuck in my mind and and it runs through um, the Assassin books um, in the kind of weird folklore that's going on in the background. 
Um, who's your who's your who's your general wound war archetype that you've you've written? Because like I feel like his ending is perfect. I, I don't I just... think I don't think I've done that because I don't think I don't think I can do anything that can ever because because for me what 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 Ship Down did was that I was a kid at school who was odd and quite intelligent but not really intelligent um, and I just read Hazel. And I thought you're me, uh, uh, you're, you're me, and and that's what I loved about it. And then the other thing I loved about it was, um, to, I'll start crying if I, if I do it. But when Bigwig stands up to Woundwall and says, "My chief rabbit has said I will keep this," this that is just the moment. I just, it's the whole fact that at that moment Bigwig is saying that actually it's it's about brains, it's not about strength. It's, we, it's so funny that you say that and I feel like I might be an awful person that the bit that makes me tear up is the description at the end where it talks about General Woundwort and it says, I'm not going to get the quote it right, but it's like and they would say to, you know, the, the, to the children to the, um, go to bed or General Woundwort will get you and I think he would have been very satisfied with that. Yeah, yeah. And I thought that was such a charitable thing yeah. to say about this. It's, it's essentially just, someone who was, you know, his views are kind of, he, he is doing something that was protective at one time and is no longer appropriate, right? It's, it's weird because Rich Dad was quite dismissive about that book. Um, he would say it's just a book about some rabbits. Um, so partly I think he should let me be the author of it. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll take this one off your hands. <laughs> yeah. Stop talking about it, Rich. It's mine now. Because um, I've read that book ever since I was little, and I think every time I read it, I get more out of it each time. But I think possibly I'm putting maybe a little bit of my own experiences into it. But there's that um, fantasy wise, there's, there's a book called The Chronicles of Morgane by C.J. Cherry. I've not um, encountered that. It, it's, one, it's one of those books that the people that have encountered it seem to love it. But not many people have. It's kind of under the radar. But um, it's a cult book that people sort of press into each other's hands and yeah, say, "You've got to check is, this out." It's out of print now. You've got to get a second-hand copy. Um, tell you what, I will try and track one down for you, Tim. That will be my gift to you. Um, oh, uh, wow! I won't spoil it for you because that part of the reason it, it blew my mind is that it it's it, it's a wolf in sheep's clothing, but. Um, the start of the story is there is a barbarian called Vanya and he's quite, from what I remember, it's a long time since I read it because I'm always wary about going back to stuff. Um, apart from Watch It Down, obviously. Um, and he's quite kind of Conan-y and he speaks in quite a, a deliberate and mannered way and it's not easy language to get into. And this woman turns up on his world. Um, she's a witch queen and she is just causing havoc. She's raising armies. She's destroying things. And he takes up with her. Um, and, and I think by the time he takes up with her, it's just them. And they're doing this thing. I'm not telling you anything about the plot because it would ruin it. But um, it, it was all about the language and this sort of relationship between them that was platonic and yet filled with something more in that she was so much more than him. There could never be a relationship between them but there was clearly a very strong bond as the books went on. Um, and I think you see that again in my books. You see that between Girton and um, Merrilla, and then you see it between Joran and Maeus in, in the Bone Ships. Um, and I think I'm consciously replaying that because that, it had such an effect on me when I read it, but it's, 
Oh, well, I, I could talk about those books for ages. Even though I've so do, do, do you think there's sometimes with like books that we've... Because I'll I, I tell you like mm. my thing that, 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 that lives in my head rent-free mm. is um, I don't know if you ever like played any of the like LucasArts point-and-click games, but um, there was an early one before Monkey Island called Loom, which was a fantasy game. And they, it was going to be a trilogy, and it was written as a trilogy. And they did the first game, and you're playing a character from the Guild of Weavers called Bobbin Threadbare, and um, it, it's got an amazing ma- magic system mm. to do with playing certain tunes in certain or- order. But if you play it in reverse, it does the opposite, and he slowly can learn by copying things from the world. And they did the first game, and it didn't do very well, and they never made any more. So it only gets to the setup of what of the where the world gets the loom gets destroyed, and the world is torn in half into two sort of pieces, mm. and a bunch of people are fled to one side, and a bunch of people are trapped with evil on the other. And, and because that's never been finished, I think when I write stuff, like I'm often that's one thing that I'm trying to. It's like a story that I can't go back to because it's not ever going to be finished and it sounds to me like with that one you know it's out of print that thing is finished and and the only way you can go back to it now is through kind of writing your own yeah tonally adjacent things yeah i I think it probably is and i I think it just it it just fascinated i just it just hit me to write and the other things that um big influences um uh 2000 ad um I got into it just at the time it hit its stride when we got slain and we got Nemesis the Warlock, um, both of which just... I mean, Nemesis the Warlock, particularly the way it approached politics in a really offhand manner, fascinated me at the time. So, whoa, that that was amazing. Um, and then later on, there were writers like... Cause I, I didn't stop... Um, Ian Banks' science fiction, because it's, it's full of humanity... And, and sort of love for people and I think that's important uh, and then I don't know do, do you know Robert Crace the crime writer um, I have heard, I've heard of him but I've not read his I've not read any of his books um, he, he wrote he writes a series of books but it's kind of the middle one um, LA Requiem um, is a book that I deeply deeply love just because it does a really clever thing with um, it tells the books from all the books are written from the point of view of the detective up until this point and then this book it tells a point of view from the detective his psychopathic sidekick and the bad guys and these points of view get shorter and shorter as the book goes through until by the end when they're involved in a fight a three-way fight um it's just sort of sentence 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 and it's just wow i was so whoa that blew my mind in a kind of oh the things you can do with structure oh it's neat when you see someone put do a move isn't it yeah oh i didn't know you were allowed I saw. I remember seeing um, 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 my friend, the poet A.F. Harold, doing a poem where he had a series of index cards and he shuff- gave them to mm. someone in the audience to shuffle, who then shuffled them and then he took them back and each one had like a, a, qu- a quatrain on it and he mm. read them all out because the poem could go in any order and I was like, oh, oh, that's, that's a neat move. Oh, cool. I didn't know you were allowed to do I didn't know you were allowed to do that. That's brilliant. Poems I are love magic. it when you read a book. Oh. Poetry is properly magic. I, I, I always fight with Kit about this on my Apples because he doesn't like poetry and, and he's wrong. Um, 
but but I, that that's I'm glad you brought poetry up because po I never talk about it and I was raised with poetry. My mum loved poetry, so I was raised with sort of all the Victorian and, and Edwardian um, sort of Matilda who burnt to death and um, hmm. T- Tonto the lion who ate was it George ate the boy? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, yeah at the yeah when he yeah I've yeah. heard people perform that yeah yeah they, they are big in my head and, and then kind of moved on to stuff like stevie smith and, and um, a lot of the sort of the war poets and, and I, I read all that sort of through them being around me i don't know poetry well enough to sort of name it but i love it when i hear it and i know it when it's good and, and i want to die when it's bad and it's one of those weird <laughs> things that that you know totally by feel and nothing else it's it, it's so strange can you? I was wondering. I I, I I always feel like I'm trying to um, make someone pick, pick a side in this or rope them into a kind of like into the into the blood war or something. When I say yeah. ask them this question, and I'm not. But it's interesting to me that you, when you were talking um, about your first and second novels, you sort of wrote the first almost by feel, by channeling, and by having a clear. End point and a character who kind of wants something, who has a clear stake all the way through, and then the second one was you had a more uh, sketched out mm. set of story beats, and I was just wondering as you've continued, um, are you sort of do you see yourself as a kind of a, a, a plotter, as a kind of planner, or do you see yourself as a pantser? Do you write by feel or some kind of obscene I- hybrid of both? I, I'm very much by feel. I can for for both the Bone Ships and the Assassin books, the Wounded Kingdom books. Let let's get the the marketing right, RJ. <laughs> um, I I knew I knew the end of the trilogy's arc um, by the end of the first book, which I think is helpful if you're writing a trilogy. It's a good thing to know because then you can seed that through the books as you go along, even if it's kind of unconscious. So I, I knew where we were going with Gerton and Merrilla in the final book but when I actually sat down to write the final book uh, um, King of Assassins the the names of those books are so misleading um, it's because it, it, he's, he's not a king it's a lie um, and we never find out oh no he's 15 so that's the age of assassins if anyone's asking um, <laughs> but when I wrote down to King of Assassins and I sat there to write it I literally knew nothing apart from possibly the the last chapter what roughly was going to happen in that, but the each book revolves around a murder mystery, and I had no idea who's going to be killed, uh, who did it, why they did it, what was going on, and then um, as I I wrote the book that the magic system's set up and it works a certain way, and there are people who like the magic and people who really don't like the magic, which is just about everybody, um, but they they go into this place where there there shouldn't be magic, and I just wrote a sentence that um. It basically broke all the rules of the book. I wrote a sentence and it broke all the rules that I'd set up regarding what the people in the book did and what their place was in this world. And the little sensible voice in my head just said, delete that because you've made everything more difficult. (laughs) And everything else in me screamed, that is the right decision, do it. And I went with it and it ended up, the whole book sort of unravelled from that. But I, I literally had no idea where I was going. It, and the burn ships is, if anything, worse. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm, I, they're finished now. I'm about to start something new. The, there's a bit of a cheat here, though, because I, I don't know. 
how much your readers know of the process of of pitching and and, uh, and well i'd love I, yeah. I'd, I'd love to hear you i'd love to hear you talk about that because I don't know how much I know about the process of pitching. I have people ask me sort of these vexed questions about querying and stuff. And I, I feel, I, I feel like, you know, like three, three goblins in a trench coat. Cause I'm like, <laughs> I've never written a query in my, my life. And I don't think it's because I kind of am going around and people, are, I don't think it's because I, I'm, I, I'm some kind of like aristocracy. I just think I've, I've never been asked to do that, but then I've—I don't know. Like it's, in fact, I've done loads of different things for different. So I'd love to hear what your experience of it is, because I feel like a lot of people get asked to do quite different things, and I don't—I don't know. Is the I think I think there's there's definitely. Um, I'll just underline first of all when it comes to querying agents, I can't help because I looked into both of my agents in odd ways, um, which is the story of my entire life, and it would have felt wrong if it didn't happen that way, but. Um, there is a gulf between applying to an American agent and applying to a British agent. This is what I wondered, whether it's a yeah. sort of across the pond thing. Yeah, because if you apply to a British agent, you can kind of rock up and go, oh, here's my book, what do you think? Um, and if you apply to an American agent, you kind of have to go, look, here's my 15-point business plan, um, my headshots, um, this is where I intend my career to go. Would you possibly be interested in me asking you if you want to hear about my book? Um, it seems a much more involved and corporate process on the American side, that's a massive generalisation. Please don't shout at me if you're with an American agent. But <laughs> um, it was a joke. Um, but it, it, it seems harder to get an American agent, to my way of thinking, because it requires organisation, and that's not who I am. But um, the the process of sort of finishing your first trilogy and then going on to your next one with the publisher, I can talk about how, how that worked and how that Yeah, that'd be really me. great, yeah. Um, what I did is I finished the Assassin books and then... Um, um, the the wounded kingdom. The wounded kingdom. Yes. Well. well and then you went on to the tide. Tide child trilogy. But um, it wasn't it wasn't quite that smooth. I mean, I I'd known for quite a while I was interested in doing something with ships because I, I like Patrick O'Brien. I, I didn't even mention Patrick O'Brien when we were talking about books. That was a God. I love Patrick O'Brien. But we'll come back to him. I'm sure. Um, uh, and then I sort of getting to the end of King of Assassins, and Ed said, right. Actually, I think we were getting to the end of Blood of Assassins and Ed said, have you any thoughts on what you want to do next? And I said, oh, yes. And, I, and I, Ed is my agent, Ed Wilson at Johnson & Alcock. He's lovely. He speaks like a sergeant major, even though he isn't. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of sent him a, an A4 page of all these ideas that I had that I, and I, said, I could write any of these. What, you pick something that you think might sell. But they were, and they, and they, were, they were real ideas that you wanted to do because my, my friend... John once got asked, have you got any other ideas? And um, didn't, but really quickly wrote something down on a piece of paper and lied. <laughs> and, and the a a agent said, that's really good. We'll pitch that. And then he had to write it. <laughs> <laughs> but these were genuine things that you wanted there, to write about. Yeah. There were things that I'd given at least an hour's thought to most of them and a bit longer to a couple of them. And one of them was the bone ships. Um, and Ed, because he's spoken to me and he knows me, uh, said, well, you've mentioned the bone ships before and the way you've described it, I think it has legs. Let's write a pitch. And I said, what's that? And he said, well, we can either write part of the book and then we submit part of the book and, and that's the sort of standard. Or we can write a pitch for it. We can write a kind of a synopsis for the first one and then a mini synopsis for the next two books. 
So that's what we decided to do. But I actually... And at this stage, you've already got like two novels out. So you've already yeah. sort of put a bit of a down payment on the, I can do a book. Yeah, and they, they, I've, I've hit my, my own deadlines, which they liked. Um, and the books are selling reasonably well, which they really like, obviously, because um, they are a business. They're, they're, not, they're not a charity, much as I wish they were. Um, um, and I submitted, I submitted the burn ships to, to Jenny, my, my editor through Ed, as a sort of, I think it was a five-page prose poem. Um, where, wow. Where it flicked in and out of sort of the plot of the book and the sort of strange, the language they use in the book, because it's quite mannered writing in the burn ships. Um, and, and Jenny sort of, her reply was, I've never read anything like this, but I like it. Um, so that, that was probably a, a very unconventional kind of pitch in that it, it was pitched to give a feeling of what I wanted to do rather than to give her an idea of what the books were about. But um, we've just pitched for a new thing, and that one I've done a much more um, standard, um, what, I, what, what probably most people would be asked to do in that. I've pitched a synopsis, three chapters of the book, and then mini synopsis for the next two books afterwards, um, which they don't actually hold you to. You can go way off piece to those. Uh, yeah, because I was going to say, mm. um, when you were writing, when you, what was your process for, you, you know, you speak to your agent, he says, okay, you, you, the bone ships I'm getting the sense is the thing that you're most mm. passionate about. Do you want to write it, write it up? At that stage, like how much of the, uh, you know, the Hundred Isles uh, um, mythology and, and um, potted history is in your head? How much of it did you have to get in your head to, you know that thing about the old lady who apologises that she would have written a shorter letter but she didn't have the time? Like, <laughs> presumably... <laughs> You know, you know, was that prose poem the totality of your knowledge about the world and you were just hinting at it? Or did you know much, much more and you had to kind of boil it down? How much did you know before you were able to write that? And I, how, and, and, and sorry, my follow-up question is going to be, and when you came to write the other books, how closely did they fit what you'd said you were going to do? <laughs> um, I th- it seems so silly, but I knew the feeling of the books. That's what I knew, and I knew that I knew that I wanted to. Um, I'm just going to flip back to Patrick O'Brien. Patrick O'Brien does a thing. I, the first time I read a Patrick O'Brien book, I read the wrong one. I read HMS Surprise. I didn't start at the beginning, and essentially, you're you're dropped into the world of 17th century sailing, um, with nobody to hold your hand, and nobody explains anything. You just have to work it out, and the first three chapters of the book make no sense. And then there's this kind of wonderful point where suddenly you think, oh, that thing's probably at the front and that thing's at the side. And I think I know where we are. And I think, and then by the end of it, you're in this world and you're completely invested in it. And that was what I wanted to do. So I kind of, as I was writing this post, I was making up sort of terms for parts of the ship that I thought sounded shippy. And I knew it was going to be a matriarchal society because I wanted... I like the idea of power and it's an easy way to make people look at power slightly differently is just kind of turn what people expect on their head. Um, so I was playing with that and you have rather than captain as the term shipwife. And that was one of the first things that came to me and it felt evocative and it felt right for this society. If it was female run that you wouldn't have a captain, you, you'd have a shipwife. And, and if it's a shipwife, then the ship is obviously a he, not a she. Uh, and that kind of makes sense with when when you know why a ship is called a called a woman. It's because they're thought of as nurturing things, but but in this world, women are not. 
they're fierce so it, it wouldn't make sense and, and men are kind of more there to look after the women so it, it makes more sense in that way um, and that was all there and the idea of these giant giant sea dragons was there because that's what the ships were made out of one of the starting points was a world without wood how do you make your ships if you don't have any wood and then kind of go back to the ideas of what what do people use people do scrimshaw and bones they they use bone tools so massive bones make your ships out of massive bones and how big do these creatures need to be if you're going to make ships out of the idea was that their ribs ran along the bottom of the ships to make the holes and i thought well they need to be excuse my french but really fucking big Hmm. and and kind of when i pitched it i was like yeah it's it's like hornblower versus godzilla um neat (laughs) oh that is cool and and then those kind of sort of seed points and then the it's the actual writing of the book that solidifies it and suddenly you find things you're you're creating problems for yourself and answering those problems and the first book's the real joy book because that's where there are no rules really and it's just like making stuff up and then by the time you get to the third book you are constrained by your own rules and i'm glad to be finished that's that's how i work can I can I can I ask you a, a question? Something that's that I've run into, and I'm really just asking you as someone who uh, has you know written more fantasy than me and is better at it. Like, when how do you deal with that thing where you start? You know, you come up with some rules for your world. You... No, no, you mustn't. No one's better. At it. You mustn't say that because there is I, no way on earth Tim I could do what what, what you do. I just couldn't. I, I can only do well, what, or, what I do. It's the all right, but all right then. Well, then speaking to a peer who I'm sure has run into some of the same problems. Yeah. Um. I. 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 I what I want to ask is, do you get that thing where you start imagining your world? Your your you know imagination's running away with you. You're having a lovely time playing with the kind of Lego of the new mm-hmm. rules of your world, and then you run into a contradiction or a problem or a oh wait a minute how would that work? That doesn't make any sense. Like I. I do how do you how have you dealt with that you know is it like you're just hammering down the lump in the carpet that might be the hamster or (laughs) do you try and you know you talked about having this contradiction that very explicitly came up that you were like i'm going to lean hard into it and kind of just do this kind of stage dive and i'm wondering how you've dealt with that because sometimes i can i've found that and i've talked to other people you either people find it a very disheartening experience and go well my world doesn't make sense now or they just try and fudge it and have the character go it didn't make sense but it must do somehow and and kind of they hang a a, a lampshade on it but they don't really or they try and cover it up and i'm wondering if you found a sort of elegant way through that kind of i think the two extremes i'm a i'm a great believer that that the world doesn't make sense it, it it just does not make sense. Our world doesn't make sense if you if you look at it. It it doesn't. It's not clockwork. I, I mean, on a macro scale with physics and stuff, obviously it is. But but if you just look at the world you see, it doesn't make sense. And I tell stories that are either first person or very close third person. So you're really seeing from from someone's point of view, which, which does allow you to to fudge things a bit. Um, but also, uh, do you ever do cryptic crosswords, Tim? You wouldn't have. I wouldn't yeah. have the foggiest idea uh, uh, <laughs> about how I, they. They baffle me. They, they they baffle me. But every so often, I, I'll look at them and, and I'll do one, 
Not not the whole crossword. I'll do like three clues and feel really clever. Oh, um, I'd feel amazing if I got three. Oh, it's, it, it's all lies and, and code words. It's it's not at all what you think. It's just oh, it's cheating. Um, but it, it's a bit like that. It's a bit like you come across this thing that that is like a sticking point, and then there is just great joy in solving that puzzle in a way that works. Like in in um, King of Assassins, the 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 there's like a uh, a group of people whose entire purpose is to hunt people who do magic uh, and I just they had a castle and I wrote a line that meant that, that there was the proof that magic had been used massively underneath this castle in the last place it should be in this world to everything that was set up and I just thought oh god and, and what I did was I just thought well clearly they're massively corrupt aren't they and it just it was mm. obvious it, it was so obvious that and but not everybody can massively corrupt and it just kind of led into where the book was going uh, and i think i think these solutions are always there and and basically that it's fancy there are no rules you can always just go on magic though <laughs> yeah but, but 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 there are no rules but you can often there's that thing about you can like introduce new things to get someone into trouble yeah. But not so much to get them out out of trouble because it feels a bit like you're. It feels yeah. literally to the reader to, to, like you're cheating. I think. I'm I'm always trying to write as if from the point of view of that that person's experience, and kind of they 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 know how the world works. I think to some degree I'm trusting on my subconscious to get out of it. I can't think of consciously sitting down and doing it in, in any way that it, it's more like you kind of go away and walk around and come back and then suddenly you think well of course it, this this works this this thing works and, it, and it's does it in con- these weird little things floating around your head that aren't they're not explainable it, it's like so it sounds lovely like i mean i, I the, the way you're talking about writing makes me feel really enthusiastic and happy about mm. writing because you're kind of Im- you're kind of embracing all the bits that are tricky about it mm. you seem to sort of embrace as the opportunities and the bits that make your story kind of cool in the end like those yeah. road bumps are actually end up being like launch ramps yeah but you said we're going to get to writing advice so because i'm terminally easily com- confused and i get off piece and, and forget what I'm going to say I, I'll give this piece of writing advice because I think it's the best bit of writing advice that um, I can give anybody and it's what I do when I sit down to write and I try and write between a thousand and two thousand words a day that's kind of what I roughly target myself at and I do a couple of things and the first and most important is I give myself permission to write a load of absolute rubbish I, I just tell myself whatever I write is just going to be trash and that's all right it doesn't matter um, as long as I do it because once you've got that trash that's all right it's there and you can fix it and it's much easier to fix existing stuff than it is to sort of write something that's perfect and that's really really hard um, and the other thing is if you sit down to write a thousand words and you write five it doesn't matter there's no reason to feel guilty about it you've written five words brilliant that, that that's kind of there's a lot of joy in writing for me so I I do everything I can to maximise that sort of joy. Uh, and the, I found those two things of just sort of not stressing if I don't get anything done because sometimes you just don't, that's life. And not expecting myself to be brilliant. Uh, are just these two tremendously freeing things. And so, yeah, yeah, I'll get on with it. 
how do you deal with it if um because you uh, give yourself you know you've got beats and you might have maybe i'm imagining you sometimes have set pieces Mm. like that you feel like you're building towards um do you ever have like a what how do you do when you're kind of like feel like you're pressing forward but you have like an intuition like have i did i make a did i take a wrong turning four four thousand words back there and now the the more I advance, the more I'm going in the wrong direction. Or like, how how do you have you dealt with that f- nagging feelings that maybe something needs a problem that you're encountering in a scene now is as the result of a mistake you made back there. How how do how do how do you keep going in those situations? What I generally do is I just put a little note on the document saying you screwed this up here, RJ. And from that moment, I write as though I haven't. Cool. Okay. Yeah. So you'd like. So you're like. We'll fix this in post. Let's yeah. imagine I made that change. Yeah. Because the, the 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 great. I think the most. What I've discovered as I went on, the most joy for me in writing is not writing the first draft, which can be quite frustrating and annoying, um, at times. It's going back and making that first draft good. I've just done that with a book that I can't talk about, really. But um, but I don't. I don't know when will this come out, Tim. When when will this? Well, I, I was, I'm hoping I'm hoping that this will come out um, on like the Thursday of next week. So okay, well, I can't, pretty soon. I can't talk about it. But, then. So you, but, but you, but, but you, but the, the, yeah. a, a generic um, mystery book. So, yes. So you're, you're so you're at the stage. So you're at the stage of having you pitched you pitched something new, and then you've written a sort of. A, so are you at the end of the first draft or at the end of redrafting? Um, I'm I'm at the end of uh I tend to, it's usually my second or third drafts that go off to my editor. I'm quite, quite, quite tidy second drafter, not a tidy first drafter. Um, and my, my typing is terrible, honestly. My document's just red all the way through. I type words <laughs> backwards and stuff like that. Um, but I, I kind of, yeah, I, I enjoy going back and making it good. And I, and I kind of, it feels like, like the thing I've just done, I actually, uh, Quite rarely for me, I redrafted three times because I, I realised I'd made a mistake the first time and I went in and corrected it and I corrected it wrong. And then when I got to the end of the third time, I thought, yeah, I've, I've done that. I've made a mistake there. But because I'd, I, I was aware of the mistake, I could see what I needed it to be. It's, mm. a, re- it's a really weird thing because you, you like poetry. Do, do you know what I mean by... When, when you're writing, I'm, I'm often trying to make the, stu- the, the sentences the right shape. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I do think I'm, I'm quite, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm an incredibly, um, I was going to say fastidious, but just, I, I'm just incredibly sort of fiddly sort of sentence shape person in a way that is good for redrafting it's not very good if that kicks in during a first draft because because uh, then i'm you know i can't move forward because i'm going i just need to make it all perfect <laughs> and that's not a good place to be for a first draft it's really odd though that thing because because I, I i'm very aware that all my writing has to feel round and if it feels square then it's wrong that that's and it's an absolute it's not a thing you could ever teach anybody because you sound like a lunatic but but that, but can you can you but can you can you are you able to sort of get any sense of what that might mean or look like what's a you know how is a how is a bit of writing square to you 
it, it's that's when it, it's wrong. I think um, uh, a right friend of mine referred to me as a very voicey writer, which I think is sure is right. In the the, the bone ships feel very different to um, the Wounded Kingdom books. Um, because that, that's the voice for those books and it's right for those books. And then the next one will feel different again because it's the voice for those books. And I, I can feel when I'm not I'm not in the voice of of that book. Uh, and the let's just say I was writing a generic mystery book, as we said, as well. That that's another very different voice. Uh, and and I can feel when I'm in that voice. And that, and that's what it is between the and you can so you mean you you can feel those moments where you kind of stray out of it into just sort of yeah delivering delivering the plot like a kind of couple of scoops of mashed potato unceremoniously plopped onto the plate whereas sometimes i guess like when the voice comes out yeah. you feel like you're i i've i've had definitely had it with characters where they end up just being a kind of unpaid cameraman yeah. um yeah. and and because i had an idea of what this scene's about and i haven't followed what they're interested in that that's that's um that's actually exactly what happened to me in, in the thing i was doing that there were two characters in it that i realized existed purely in the book to turn up at a point and deliver some plot and and that was my mistake that they they needed to be at the end of the book as well they needed they needed to flow through it and, and that flow was missing from the book and it was bugging me and it was the wrong and it wasn't right but i i think that that was one of the rare times when actually there's a the little bit of the back of my head that was going, this is craft, this is, this is knowing how a thing should work, rather than pure feel, which was quite an odd experience for me. A worrying, because you kind of think, what, what if I start listening to that more than the other one that lets me just drive forward like a mad person? It's, it's, yeah, it's, div- it's difficult to mm. um, kind of like have that... Yeah, but do, I mean, uh, the, the, that's the that's the that's the kind of one thing I, I wanted to ask is as you're kind of like, you know, now you're sort of seven books in, mm. do, are you finding it? How has the writing process changed for you? Some people say they find it easier. Some people have more sort of faith in the process because they've seen the cycles and they know when they're in a kind of slump. Um, they know that these things generally they've got through them before. I wondered if you've. If, if you've noticed a progression or if every book is such a different thing that it's really a new experience. I, I don't think there's, there's any progression at all. <laughs> I, 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 don't, um, I, I think there's always this sort of feeling of sitting down in front of a screen and looking at it and thinking, oh my God, what am I going to do? How do I do this? I don't, I don't, I don't, how does it work? Where do ideas come from? And, and the truth is to me that ideas come from sitting down and writing and if I do that, something will happen, and and that's that's all, all I know. But I, I really feel that, for me and a lot of writers that I know, I always feel like there is, a much better writer than I am, and he's just over the brow of the hill, and I'm chasing him, and it's incredibly frustrating because I can't catch him, and that that's kind of, that's my feeling about writing. It's just like a, a constant process of never being as good as I think I should be, but actually really enjoying doing it anyway. I think that's why I, I kind of refer to it as like a puzzle, that I might not actually be able to solve the puzzle, but I enjoy trying to solve the puzzle. Yeah, and and when, and when you solve the puzzle, 
that's the point you reject you you have to send it to your agent and you're kind of kicked out of the world to a yeah. certain extent the, the game's over when you solve it so you've got to try and enjoy it while it's still god what's gonna happen next i don't know if i'm gonna be able to finish this story because <laughs> that's that's when you're allowed to play in the world and the characters are living mm-hmm. to you and still changeable and when, when you solve it that's cool the toy goes back in the box and the game's over it's, it's i see like i know we're meant to be excited by this but um when when i see writers unboxing their books and being terribly excited that the book the books have turned up i'm not because that that's finished i'm done with that it, it's a it's not of any interest to me anymore and it's it has interest in that i like to interact with people about it and talk about it afterwards but the actual thing i'm never going to open that book again apart from to read um maybe do a reading somewhere because it's it's finished it's dead thing it's not it's not malleable yeah and like and like you've said there were there were bits with that kind of like reddit post and stuff mm. that were a delight where yeah. where the book you you're seeing the world be alive for someone else and you're mm. going it's out there the thing is happening that's yeah. great but it's oh it's i mean it's because it's, it's always a funny thing when i'm talking to writers about their book that's out and they're working on something new yeah there's always a thing where they're talking about but you can sit you you um you know you always hear that there's this thing their heart has sort of been drawn away to a new <laughs> to a new love and yeah. it's it's so funny because it's not that they don't like their old books but they're kind of like i've got to tell you i'm in a different headspace right now uh uh, and the thing I really want to like talk about is the thing I'm not allowed to. Yeah, it's it's probably difficult because I I don't know how many people know that that a writer is actually always two years ahead of where you're reading. So so we're kind of like I'm I'm doing something completely different. And maybe I'm we're doing watching something... we're watching a later season of yeah. the the show everyone else is, and yeah. we're watching a later season, and we might actually be be watching another season under a different name. And it's just like... <laughs> but i i i always i always think it's really really important i say that i i'm this is comp- oh, i've just gone completely off off thing i'm having such a good time hmm. <laughs> um that writing fills me with joy you can probably hear that and it it still does when when i first got signed um i can't remember who it was and i wouldn't name him even if i could but um quite a a well-respected older writer took me to one side. They were quite drunk, and said, "You'll be enjoying." <laughs> right, writers are often quite drunk. Um, said, "You you might be enjoying it now, but but three years down the line, you'll be jaded like the rest of us. You'll have had enough of the industry." <laughs> and I'm just not. I I wake up every morning and think, "My God, I I'm I'm getting paid to do this thing." that I've nearly always wanted to do, apart from the years where I desperately want to be a rock star. Um, <laughs> and, and it just, I can't actually, every so often I'll just remember that this is what I do for a living and I can't believe it. It just seems insane. Um, I'm going to put links to all the books in the show notes today, mm. all of uh, y- all of uh, y- your books. But um, mm. if people want to um, find you and your stuff online, where's the best place that they can go to um, do that? And also if you want to... I'll, I'll, if you want to plug the uh, podcast as well, I can put a link to that in the show notes as well. Um, there's my website, www.rjbarker.co.uk. Um, and if you find me on Twitter, it's probably the easiest because I just never shut up. Um, um, I, I, 
Tim did the best thing ever on Twitter. You, your list of all those different magics. That, that, the, the magic system. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm quite sure you did that just so you have a reason to sue every writer on earth at some point. It would just be like, oh, well, your book's I'm, nice. I'm, but... sure, I'm, I'm, sh- I'm sure that, 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 that very few of them are original and that's the you know that's actually the one one way i've tried to get around a lot of stuff in my own kind of ideas is just getting away from the tyranny of trying to be original because otherwise it just drives you bananas right trying to go has anyone do this and you're like googling different words and names going am i stealing something and i've forgotten that i watched it (laughs) i just presume i'm nicking everything i've I've just given i'm just I'm, i'm stealing it like in in um the last Bone Ships book, there's a there's a whole sequence that is just a homage to part of a Patrick O'Brien book, and and it's deliberate. Anyone who reads Patrick O'Brien will recognise it, but he stole it from history. So, <laughs> so it's an actual thing that happens. Like you kind of like, oh well, that's when I I borrowed it from history, um, just I learned a bit from him, but <laughs> but. I, awesome. it, I, I think that it's more about how you do a thing than what you do. But I, I just wanted to say that I found that thread of, of magic systems just joyous. It was oh, just look, I, 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 I've been, I'm still updating it, but yeah. like I, I love, I love writing it because mm. it's just, it's just fun to have, to have ideas, right? Like yeah. it, it's, it's great. And thank you so much for coming on the show because it's made me. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't. Not that I started the interview feeling. Um, jaded as your uh, writing elder peer there um was talking but i i've been feeling all right about writing at the moment but um but so from a high from from near ceiling levels of enthusiasm for writing i've still managed to punch through that ceiling from having talked to you to feel even more excited to dive back into working on my my uh, new book so Good. thank you so much for coming on the show it's been a real thrill oh, it's, it's been, been lovely chatting it's to been you. lovely lovely speaking to you and and i think the other thing people to remember is that write, writing is kind of hard and frustrating uh, and I know all these things it's hard and it's frustrating and it's difficult and it can get you down on on occasion but dear god I can still rem- remember working eight hours a day in a call centre and, and I know where I would rather be <laughs> <laughs> and we, 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 we're on to a winner Tim we are yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I definitely, yeah. I, I split when I was doing sixty-five hours of um, split shifts at a bar for minimum wage. Oh, um, there were there were there were upsides to that, and I enjoyed my I I respected and really liked my coworkers. Mm. But I am glad that I am doing this. Mm. Um, and uh, thanks very much for coming on the show. Anyway, yeah. Oh, and come and do write up with us. Right, I'll place. I would love to. Um, I would be. It would be. An, it will. Be, I would absolutely love it. I'll put you on our list. Uh, I'll give a brief explain what it is. Do I have time? Yeah, of course. Yeah, you yeah. have to tell me to show up because I will just talk all night. Um, this is the thing. Right, up has been known to run until twelve o'clock. Um, it's basically me and horror author Kit Power, who's a brilliant factual writer as well. His my life in horror stuff is well worth checking out. It, it's lovely. Um, we we talk to various people in the writing world, and we have kind of a live audience of people who comment on it as we go along and we involve the audience in it and it's quite interactive and fun and very silly and slowly turning it into a podcast um at the moment it's just like a live radio show but that's what what we do and we'll have you on we'll put you on our list oh i'd love to come on thank you very much and to everyone listening um thank you very much for tuning in and i hope you have a wonderful week of writing